Welcome to Make Ceremony Matter More, where life cycle celebrants talk shop. Brought to you by Funeral Radio. And now your host, Cindy Neely Spence. Today we welcome Kevin O'Brien, life cycle celebrant, serving the North Canton area of Ohio. Kevin is passionate about working with his clients to understand their beliefs, philosophy of life, and personalities. Often, they are hesitant to include formal rituals in their ceremonies, so Kevin seeks out and creates unique rituals for his clients, creating a memorable ceremony experience for all. Kevin, on your website, you describe a tragically forgettable funeral for your grandfather. Did this influence your decision to pursue training as a life cycle celebrant? Uh, It had something to do with it. It was actually my grandmother. She was married for 70 years to my grandpa, and they lived right next to each other uh, in the nursing home. And um, the priest that presided over her funeral uh, was from the... um, the nursing home, and so he didn't really know them very well, and so it was just very cold and impersonal, and there was nothing that I remember about it, and neither does anybody from my family. Um, That's so sad. It's very sad, and uh, so when I found out about the celebrant profession, I was very intrigued and uh, looked into it further and thought that it might be something I'd really be interested in doing. Okay, so... You are unique being a life cycle celebrant in the North Canton area of Ohio, correct? Yes. And you do work with funeral homes in the area. Yes. Mm -hmm. I work um, right now exclusively with selected independent uh, funeral homes. So those are all family-owned funeral homes in the area that are far enough away from each other that they're non-competing. So uh, they are very good at uh, referring funerals to me. Okay, that that works out well for for both sides of the the arrangement as well. So what is distinctive about the way you do your work that allows you to create fitting and memorable rituals for your clients? Well, the advantage that I bring that most efficients don't bring is that I spend probably 12 to 15 hours total preparing and officiating at funerals. So by the time that I interview the family, write everything out, email it to the family for them to preview, get their editing comments, and you know we go back and forth, download music, try to create rituals, research some things because... The family might not be clear about the date of certain things or uh, the facts. That's just something that most clergy don't have the time to do. And so I'm able to put together a ceremony that is uniquely personal to that individual. So the heart and soul of what I do is storytelling, and that all stems from the Oh, hour and a half to two hour family interview that I have with uh, with the family and friends. And if there are people that can't be there, then I will call them or make a special visit to see them so that uh, I have as well rounded of a picture of the decedent as I as I possibly can. 
In advance of this um, interview that we're having right now, you shared a couple of wonderful examples of where you reached out to clients and came up with some remarkably memorable ceremonies and rituals. So could you share a few of those with us? Well, the one that I just had recently, uh, it was kind of a combination of two stories. Uh, One story, uh, it was the father that died, and he had two daughters. And uh, one day, the one daughter was away uh, at work, and she was painting her house, and her father came over and uh, painted while she wasn't there, and he painted a smiley face on a back window of her house. And she couldn't bring herself to wipe it away, so she just left it there. Then another story was about a tradition that that family had, and it had been passed on to three generations, was anytime someone would leave a family member's home, they would wave to each other through a window until they could no longer see each other. So at the uh, funeral home, I had the one daughter whose uh, house he had painted the smiley face on, paint a smiley face. I happen to have a window that I'm intending to use. So I I said, well, what if I brought a window to the funeral home and you put a smiley face on it? And she said, oh, that'd be great. So that was next to the the casket. And then I took the uh, window to the cemetery. And then after we had our uh, graveside service, myself and the funeral director held the window And then as the people were leaving, they waved goodbye through the smiley face window at the casket. So, again, that's kind of the thing that a life cycle celebrant would do that 99% of the clergy uh, and other officiants don't do. Another one was uh, a mother who died and she had six children a ton of grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And it was sort of the tradition that whenever the grandkids came over, they would just walk in the back door, and she was always in the living room. And she would say to them, stay out of the cookie jar. And so, of course, that was sort of their invitation to go to the cookie jar and grab cookies. And so at the the funeral home, we brought her her cookie jar along with, jar full of cookies and so people after uh, the service and they left and said goodbye to the family reached in the cookie jar and took a cookie oh that's so lovely that's yeah that's the kind of thing that you get through the family interview and you never know where those ideas are going to come from and sometimes they're way out and uh, I throw out ideas and sometimes they like it and sometimes they don't But that's what makes our services so different because we have no agenda that we're pushing. We're not trying to assert our theology or belief systems or values. It's whatever the family wants to to get them through this uh, difficult time. So as a celebrant, because I'm not bound by any church or any, you know, hierarchy, I can I can do anything as long as it's legal. So um, I tell the families that I can make it as serious or as funny as they want. So I have led cheers. We have danced. 
Uh, we've toasted with moonshine. Uh, we've shot fireworks off, balloon launches, dove releases. And so what happens more often than not is people coming up to me afterwards saying things like, this is the best funeral I've ever been to, or do you have a business card because I want you to do my funeral. <laughs> um, and that's just, that's the highest compliment I could get. You, you mentioned the moonshine ritual. Yeah. Um, and I understand that's also a way of sharing life rituals in a life tribute. So could, could you share a little bit of your, your, that scenario? Oh, of the moonshine? It was a young man, actually, and he was a foodie. So he, he just, uh, people would always laugh because they would always call him and ask him, you know, they're going to some city in the area and what restaurant should they go to? And he would know. Or if he was giving directions, he would do it by food um, places. So his father, who was also deceased, had made all this moonshine. And it was uh, the decedent's tradition to go to his dad's gravesite on the anniversary of his death and toast with moonshine. So the son had all this moonshine left over. So I asked uh, his wife if she wanted to toast uh, with the moonshine. And so the funeral home bought little cups and they passed out cups and poured moonshine. And we I found some kind of a raucous toast because that was it was perfect because he that was sort of who he was and so we all made a toast and took a swig of moonshine and people laughed because of the expression on my face because it was just awful but um (laughs) you know people will go away and they'll always remember that they will not have the kind of experience that i had with my grandma that sounds absolutely beautiful. So, so in a way, you're you're bringing the decedent into the funeral. You're bringing them back for that one last time. Yes. With that community of people that are there to participate in honoring that individual. How about outside ceremony components? If you've got gardeners, say, or or bird lovers, have you incorporated anything special for those two areas? Oh, absolutely. Um, if if someone uh, loves birds, I've probably had two or three of them that um, at the graveside, um, we brought a big bag of bird seed. And so, I mean, traditionally, there are flowers on the casket, and so people will take flowers and take those home with them. But this time when they left, they took a big handful of bird seed and spread it around the uh, the gravesite. And uh, so that the birds can come and say their goodbye to the decedent as well. We've planted flowers. Um, It's just those unique little things that we try to incorporate in every service so that people will remember it and that the life of the decedent is honored. That's key. That's wonderful. That's a that's a wonderful approach. Now, you you have a very inclusive approach to dealing with your families and and welcoming and encouraging that participation. Mm. How do you approach working with families to balance the input? Say if there's a lot of of children or a lot of siblings, have you encountered any issues where you've really kind of had to go beyond the call to uh, balance family input? 
Um, there's only been a couple where there's been any kind of infighting, and that's why, for me, it's critical. When I first, when I first started, uh, Cindy, I was worried about the effect of emailing uh, the service to the family for their approval beforehand, because I thought it's kind of like a spoiler alert. You know, it's like knowing the end of a movie before you've seen it. And I was worried that the service wouldn't have the emotional impact that I was hoping that it would have. That has turned out not to be the case. And so by writing everything out, and I write lyrics to songs, scripture passages, if someone wants to write a letter to their grandma, but they can't deliver it, I'll incorporate that. So then I mail it to the family for them to look it over so that I'm not stepping on any landmines that uh, I'm not aware of. And so that uh, they know exactly what's going to happen on the day of the service. There aren't any surprises. They own the ceremony. I tell them that uh, again and again that I am here to serve them. They own it so that once they say we're good to go, I figure if anybody gets upset, it's not on me. <laughs> it's on, yeah. you know, the sister or brother or the wife or the stepmother or whatever. So asking them stories. And I think when you focus on the life of the decedent, it kind of takes away the emotional baggage that families can have. So, you know, tell me a story about when he, you know, went camping. That kind of thing. So it's really kind of factual based. So it's it's pretty rare, like I said, that there's any kind of tension within the family. Usually they they can put aside the their differences for the sake of the the service. It, it sounds very powerful that they're not sitting on the edge of their seat wondering what's going to be said next. So they really can experience that ceremony as you deliver it. And just relish the experience. Right. Like I said, I, I make it available to them that if they want to write something out, I will read it or somebody, other family member can read it. And most families choose to open the floor to other people if they want to share a story or memory or a thought about the person. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. It's really awkward when there's just the silence and usually that's only because the the death is really emotional. If it's somebody who's older and the death is expected, it's not as traumatic. But if there's a suicide or a car accident, you know, or an infant death, then it's harder for people to get up and speak. Yeah, you mentioned you have a relationship with several um, funeral homes that aren't in a competitive scenario. Mm-hmm. Are, are your relationships with your families key to your ongoing referrals? Um, I've had, I've been practicing for three years now, and I've had, I think, four funerals that are, well, it's like the spouses have died. And, okay. And so the family have um, gone to back to the same funeral home and, and have requested me. So I've had one uh, they had attended one of my services, a non-family member, and uh, had a death in the family, and they, they requested me. So I'm starting to be requested 
but right now it's pretty much the um, uh, it's celebrants are still pretty unknown in Ohio here. So it's the funeral directors that are doing my sales. Okay. Do the funeral directors ever attend your ceremony? Oh, they all do. Okay. So you've got their seal of approval. Absolutely. So now it's to the point now that, you know, when they ask the families when they come in, you know, do you have a clergy member that you would like to officiate? If they say no um, and they don't want a religious service, I'm their first call. That is that is wonderful. That is wonderful. That's that's so good to hear. Uh, Kevin, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Well, um, it's kind of sad to say that the bar for funerals is so low because so many people who are conducting funerals uh, just use a text. It's the same text, and they insert a name here and there. Maybe they'll meet with the family 10 or 15 minutes before the funeral, oftentimes not. So many of the funerals that I've attended, there's a lot of preaching going on. The funeral directors that I work with just hate when there's what they call um, an altar call. So it's like if you haven't accepted Jesus into your as your personal Lord and Savior, you know, you can come up now. And um, and it's, I just don't feel that that's appropriate during any funeral. And unless that's what the family's looking for. But I get the sense in your case that that's not what the family's They w- They would never use a celebrant for that kind of service. They're going to ask a minister or clergy to, to do something like that. So yeah. um, it's just really refreshing that there is this profession out there that can truly honor a life by uh, storytelling and um, making it a unique, one-of-a-kind personal service that people walk away feeling a sense of healing, but also a sense of hope and a sense of joy knowing that their loved one has uh, truly been honored through the uh, ceremony that life cycle celebrants uh, offer. Kevin, those are, those are wonderful words you've shared. And as an image, I have very firmly in my mind that uh, window with the smiley face (laughs) on it. It it really touches my heart. Um, I thank you for joining us. That makes ceremony matter more and sharing your experiences as a life cycle celebrant. You're welcome. And thank you very much, Cindy, for doing this. And listeners, there is a link to Kevin's website on the webpage for this podcast. We thank you for listening and thank you for joining us at Make Ceremony Matter More.